Media Masters with Paul Blanchard. Welcome to Media Masters, a series of one-to-one interviews with people at the top of the media game. Today I'm joined down the line by Philip Burney, Head of Television at BBC Sport. Philip joined the Beeb as a trainee producer in 1984 after leaving university, working his way up through radio and TV to become editor of Grandstand and Match of the Day. In a career which has seen him take the helm of most of the BBC's major sporting events, he's edited coverage of the Olympic Games, the Commonwealth Games, two World Cups and the drama of Euro 96. He's also won a Royal Television Society Award for his work editing BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Phil, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. Great to speak. Well, I think we should assure our listeners straight away that normally we do these things face to face, but obviously because of the current environment, we're doing this remotely by Zoom. And that actually leads me to my first question, really. I mean, we should be talking about a fantastic summer coming up with BBC Sport, with the Euros, Wimbledon and the Olympics, of course. None of them are going to be on the television this summer, are they? No, obviously it's very difficult times for everybody and really challenging for everybody living through it all. And above all, of course, we're mostly concerned about people staying healthy and, and looking to a time when people get back to leading somewhat more normal lives. That's the, that's the everyone priority. Within that, there's clearly very great disappointment that what was going to be a fantastic summer of sport in 2020 is gone. There really isn't anything happening for uh, the next two, three months, it would appear. Um, there were plans are in place to get moving at the moment um, for the back end of the summer, which would be great. But no, it's been, it's been, um, it, it, it's caused all kinds of issues, as you can imagine. Um, the postponements meant a lot of discussion about how we reschedule uh, those really chunky events that have disappeared, like Euros and the Olympics. Women, of course, has been cancelled for this year and it's not going to happen, which is great sadness too. And lots of people to talk about and uh, to talk to and about how we're dealing with them, those that are due to work on those events. So a lot of personal considerations. Obviously, people are financially impacted as they are more widely across the country. Um, so there's been a, a lot to do there and, and, and real added concern there, considering people already have the health concern. Uh, and then just working out what we can do to try and fill some of the gaps, at least, that have been left by the absence of live sport. We're very keen that the BBC does carry on showing sport through even now, and it's already started with our football output since the crisis hit and definitely determined to do that through the summer where those big events were going to be and provide replacement programming, which we capture some great moments and great action from the history of those events that aren't actually taking place this year. So an awful lot of work going on as well. So yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been for everybody incredibly troubling and unsettling time. And, um, and certainly for, uh, for us here, it's been uh, involved a lot of work to try and deal with the consequences. It must be the biggest challenge you've ever faced in your career though, in terms of that creatively, because you know, BBC News still has to cover the virus, whereas BBC Sport hasn't got any sport to cover, or certainly what was in the pipeline has just been written off with the stroke of a, of a lockdown pen on a minister's order. So you've, you've had to get very creative. Yes, and, and uh, great, great credit to the, to the teams we have here, because they very rapidly produced a whole succession of, of ideas, which I think will be really appetising. No one's going to pretend that uh, it's going to be the same as showing the live events, because nothing is. And we much prefer to be doing that, obviously. But in the absence of those events, there's been a whole raft of great ideas already, as we say, some being shown, uh, uh, filling the gaps on weekends, the match of the day slots, already well filled, for example. And it's required huge amounts of effort for a large number of people to try and work through what we can do, where we can place it. Um, and I, I think um, as the summer progresses, that we will, you know, we'll have some really good 
some really good stories to tell and some really appetizing programs to offer, albeit not the same as uh, I've seen a real thing. You immediately saw the potential of a Match of the Dead podcast from Gary Lineker's well-appointed kitchen. Well, that was, that was one of the more fortunate things in terms of timing. We, we'd already set up with colleagues in radio and sounds uh, the, and uh, Goalhanger, independent production company, the Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer, Ian Wright podcast, which was due to run through uh, radio and put out five live and sounds uh, as an audio version. And this is something we've been working on for a while and we thought it would work very well. I mean, the three of them have just got fantastic natural chemistry, which displays itself on Match the Day and our FA Cup coverage regularly. There's real warmth and, uh, uh, and great friendliness uh, and camaraderie between them. And they have fun and that, that fun exudes entertainment whenever they're together. So we were looking to how we could um, develop that relationship further and, and, and make more use of it really beyond um, just talking around football matches and on Match the Day. And that's where the podcast came from. And that was already that has already started, and that's why we actually recorded uh, we recorded the first batch of three in Gary's kitchen before the social distancing rules or guidance came in. Um, so they were ready to go in terms of unfortunately they'd been filmed as well. We needed to do a bit of work on those to make sure they would work for the slot that was once before the match of the day. I had kitchen um, envy. Yes, no, very nice kitchen. And Gary, Gary's a very keen cook, by the way. And uh, and I, I did, did cook for them. Never cook for me, but it's cooked for them. <laughs> and um, cooked very well, I'm told. So that was great. So straight away, or within a week of the of, of the Premier League being halted, we had that available to go, which was terrific. Now, since then, obviously, we had to change how we do it. So we're now doing it um, with all three remotely. But that's worked remarkably well. I mean, obviously, better when they're together, as, as in any conversation. But um. But it's worked remarkably well and re- really, really pleased how that's gone. So great credit to all those involved in developing that and making it work for TV. And it's been very well received. You know, it's got over two million people watching it on Saturday nights, which is which is terrific. Um, and uh, they're really, really happy with that. And we now had match of their day in as well to that off the back of that. So that's kind of catch up with some classic matches um, with the individual pundits. We've had Shearer and Genus and Ian Wrightson talking through their, their, their favourite games as well. So actually the hour and a half that was once match of the day has now got, um, we think, really strong football content again. Or repeat, it's not the same as having the, the action that we'd want on the day, but in that absence, um, it's, it's fared very well and we're, we're really happy with it. And, uh, and it's just reinforced what a great... What a great entertaining relationship those those guys have and how well they work together. I mean, you mentioned the, sort of the vast archive that BBC Sport has. Has it shocked you just how well received some of those classic matches being repeated have been have been received? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's an appetite for it at the moment. I mean, showing up the whole point of seeing sport and the, the incredible appetite for for live sport is because of the drama and the and the unexpected and what how it might unfold in a way that you just couldn't predict. Uh, and the kind of tension and the variety of options that that gives you when you're watching live sports. So you're not going to replicate that when everyone knows what the result is. And this is sport that is five or ten years old, of course. However, at the moment, there isn't live sport. And, and in that absence, reliving some very, very warm, welcome memories of great sport has, has, has been a, a very decent substitute, not just in football, uh, we've done it with rugby league and golf. We're doing some of the marathon coming up. So, yeah, really keen that, that that we keep doing that. And 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 there's definitely viewers out there wanting to wanting to watch that in the, in the absence of live sports. So it's something yeah, that's gone there very well. 
I mean, you were BBC editor for some of those great sports moments, like Euro 96. In fact, don't we owe the popularity of Ness and Dorma from Italian 90 down to you? Well, I came up with the idea in the first place. Yes, I mean, basically, I'd, I'd used it. This is uh, the the, um, the genesis of Ness and Dorma has been uh, been, and its use has been uh, much chronicled, actually. But it's I, I'd heard it and then used it myself for a piece I was doing when I was um, a producer. Actually, we do a long film. Uh, uh, when we went to Italy in late 1989, ahead of the World Cup, and just saw what the preparations were going. People forget that Italy, that's how it was, and Italy then, Serie A was absolutely the epicenter of football, isn't anymore. It's moved more into, I mean, it's got some strong teams that move more into places like the league and obviously the Premier League in particular. But then, where you went on the whole, if you're a great player, someone, some players did still go to Real Madrid and Barcelona, on the whole was. Italy, and that was regarded as the apogee of, 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 of football greatness. They had obviously Maradona playing for Napoli and uh, all the German great players playing for Inter Milan and so and the Dutch players then for AC Milan. So it was great to go round. I actually went to Napoli and, uh, and Milan and, and trailed um, the incredible international stars they had. There was, was a fascinating insight into how strong Italy was as it prepared for the 1990 World Cup, the, the kind of epicenter of football hosting the World Cup. And for that, because I'd heard this piece of music, I used as a kind of one of the climactic parts of it, Ness and Dorma, because it's the bit that really appealed was right at the end, which you might be familiar with when sort of Pavarotti goes off into his great, uh, into his great crescendo of Vincero, Vincero, I will win, I will win. And that married in very, very neatly Tardelli's uh, crucial goal in the World Cup final in 1982, which is a quite well-known celebration when he... You know, the ecstasy of scoring that crucial goal—he turns away and his arms are flailing—and it, uh, um, and it's just the the ultimate moment in a footballer's career, and exemplifies as well that kind of incredible Italian passion and expressiveness. And that was the bit that really appealed to me, and that's what we used, in fact, in that in, at the end of that film. And and then others, to be fair, saw that. And then when we were talking about the title music, there was—I was very keen that we did use it and. Others involved, people like Brian Barnett, who's had a football, and Des Liner, but certainly a very key role. He was really keen on it. And we used it. And actually, that Tardelli moment uh, with, with across the Vincero was still there in the, in the time. So that was, that was the kind of essence of it. And it was the way it took off was extraordinary. I mean, I thought it was obviously the most wonderful piece of music, <laughs> but I, I thought it would, it would work well. But uh, we didn't expect it to go off in quite the way it did. I don't think anybody did, including, you know, um, Pavarotti's record company were fairly astonished at. At the uh, interest of us that it, that it aroused, it was great. It, it was it was um, wonderful to be involved in that. ITV's had a huge success with its virtual Grand National. Do you think the Beeb will be trying similar kind of digital recreations? Well, we're looking at all options at the moment. Um, uh, that was a, to be fair, because ITV have done that before, and it's, a, and it's a particular sweet spot because um, you know the people that work on it have been very clever in how they develop that. And as I say, they have played out before and it's done well. And of course, this time there was no proper Grand National, so it did particularly well. And it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great piece of work and, uh, and very impressive and to actually recreate the race with all the algorithms they work through to, to get the um, most accurate prediction of the result is terrific. It's perhaps not so transferable as, as in other sports, but we're, we're looking at um, all kinds of things. There's obviously eSports are taken off, so there's some kind of eSports options um, that's, that we're looking to, to engage with, um, um, particularly around football. So yeah, we're open to all thoughts. As I say, that, that, that one worked particularly well and was well established well in advance. I mean, to, to create these things, as they created, it takes, as you can imagine, some time. 
So I think rushing something like that is probably not an immediate option, but there's certainly um, different digital options, gaming options that um, across the BBC portfolio we're, we're looking at. And as a department, how is sport coping? Have you lost a lot of manpower due to illness and you know people not being able to come in, as, as well as not having the events themselves to cover? I mean, it's when you think of all those really talented sort of camera and production teams that have been bringing us pictures from the Euros and the Tokyo Olympics, what's actually happening to them? Well, the illness hasn't been too bad at the moment, but obviously some people have been affected as, as across the population. So, um, and that's the major concern that we get people well and look after them and make sure they're looking after themselves. In terms of those who are due to work on events, I mean, as I said, with our staff, quite a lot of those we're getting engaged as much as possible in the replacement programming that we're setting up. So we want to get them as fully engaged as possible, and a lot of them are, and we're going to get more and more of them as time progresses. Um, and indeed, we're then planning for the return of sport um, later in the summer too. So um, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, so there's work to be done there. There are obviously, there's quite a big freelance community that, with both um, production and technical staff that work for us uh, and would have worked on things like Wimbledon, the Euros and the Olympics. Most of the events, Wimbledon is an exception, unfortunately, most of the events have been postponed. So the Euros and uh, the Olympics are due to take place next year. So the, the hope, the absolute hope would be that um, wherever possible, we would use those people who were due to work this year or next year's events. We haven't worked through the production plans for next year yet, um, but that's the intention. So you know, it's a big shame for all those. We're talking to individuals who've got particular concerns and trying to do, uh, trying to help them anywhere we can. But I think in most cases, uh, we, we would hope that um, those people will be working on, on the events that they missed out on this year, next year, or indeed that they've spent later in the year. I mean, it probably doesn't come as a shock to you because your whole career has been immersed in this. But just as a normal viewer, I've been incredibly shocked just how, just how much the national psyche revolves around the cycle of these great sporting events in the calendar. I mean, everyone knows the reasons why we can't, you know, they can't take place. But it, it's, it's, you must be able to see that even more closely at first hand, just how, you know, what, what a, a significant dent on, on the whole nation this has been in terms of just its ability to enjoy sports. Yes, I mean, I love sport, and, you know, but beyond my work, which I've been incredibly lucky to do all these years, working something I absolutely adore, and would be interested in another, another day's work in it. Um, it, it it's, so I miss it personally, you know, just weekends without sport feels a very odd place, well, without live sport. And yeah, I mean, it, it's incredibly important sport. I mean, look, it's, it's a recreation, and you know, now above all, when we're in a terrible time for a lot of people, both in, in terms of major health concerns and very serious financial concerns. Um, you need to get this in perspective uh, and realise where sports place is in that, although of course sport is very badly affected um, financially too in, in a lot of respects. But it's, it's, the, it's one of the great forms of enjoyment for so many people. There's a reason why it has extraordinary popularity, why you get uniquely huge audiences for the most important, certainly national sporting events. It's a reason why you pay so much money for it actually and in, in, in sports rights terms and um, because it, it, it delivers things that no, nothing else really can. Uh, it, it has the most unexpected dramas, the most um, you know, compelling narratives, twists and turns, all things that um, just are very, very hard to replicate anywhere else and, uh, and it has incredible value and people love it and of course the passion that people feel um, whether they're supporting a football club or rugby club cricket team, um, when they're following their national teams, when they're engaged in Wimbledon uh, with all the drama that brings. 
and all the great names you've got there and the kind of fluctuates fluctuations you have of great long matches there all that all of that is is something that so many people enjoy and the bbc is about delivering that to the nation and and, and we do uh we, we do our very best to do that to deliver free to air obviously people pay the license fee and for that they get um you know still a you know a huge range of great sporting moments and great sporting events which once with the license fee they don't have to pay beyond that and 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 it's a and it's a terrific offering and we get obviously in the bbc some of our very biggest audiences uh for sporting events for that reason and there's very little else that you can think of barring the odd special event in in, in drama or entertainment which brings the nation together in that way and has so many people glued and transfixed at the at its apogee and in its highest moments and then just week in week out as i say that, that it's something that people just get used to and it's part of their rhythm of life if you're following your 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 team um and now you can't that's a, that's a real miss and it's such a great release for what people do around particularly weekends after a long hard week's work um so yeah it's not no it's not surprising to me i mean people have missed it badly and that's why as i say we're trying our very best to put something else in its place to at least try and help set that appetite to some degree i mean you look after the bbc sports personality of the year i imagine that's going to be a very different event this year yeah we haven't decided yet how we're going to tackle that and we really haven't made our mind up yet until we know I think we need to look at how the summer pans out, so how much happens, and then take a view on what we're going to do with it. But we will have to approach it differently. Obviously, the heart of the summer's events have gone, and there's a lot less sport in the year than there would normally be. So, yeah, we're, going to, we, we, we're definitely thinking afresh about that and what we want to do with it. And I think we'll, we'll take a, a proper view on it at the back end of the summer when we'll know a bit more about what's happened and indeed kind of what the state of the nation is and on the bigger issue of the actual how we're dealing with the virus so that's something to be paused for a moment. You know back in my teenage days when I used to get the bus everywhere are you going to have what I call the three bus problem which is you wait hours for a bus one doesn't come and then three turn up at hmm. once because there's going to be a huge glut of sport isn't there in 2021 with the deferred Olympics and so on when things go back to quote-unquote normal is that going to be stressful in a different way? Only in a good way, and uh, only in a way that we were looking forward to in 2020. So I, I think it will be, it'll be terrific if, if it all goes ahead as now planned in 2021. And indeed 2022, when stuff's moved from 21 to 22, like the World Athletics Championship, for example, has gone from 21 to 22. The Women's Euros, due to being 21, is, is, is looking towards 2022. So actually, we now have two fantastic years in prospect. Uh, with what the BBC's got in, in terms of sports rights. So uh, I, I'm just purely excited about all that. I mean, yeah, there'll be a lot of work to do on it. We've obviously done a fair amount of work on the plans for things like the Euro Olympics in 2020, which we'd largely hope to transplant into 2021. I'm sure there'll be some amendments, but it's, it's, it's wonderful. And after the difficulties that 2020 opposed and the really hard times that so many people are going through this year, let's just hope we're all in a better place in 2021 and can just enjoy some wonderful live sport. And looking beyond coronavirus, BBC Sport has brought in new faces as analysts and presenters. Is that sort of top of your to-do list to sort of make the sport reinvent its presentation for younger audiences? Well, that's important that we keep bringing new audiences in and certainly making sure that we appeal across all demographics. The licence fees universal. We want to make sure that um, we have something for everyone as much as possible. And sport is one of those areas where we think that should be more possible because as I was talking about earlier, the, the, 
the rare universal appeal that, that, that the bigger moments have and how it brings so many people together from all walks of life and all age groups. And of course, we're keen that um, we, we, we bring younger audiences with us. It's a natural field and an area for them to, to watch and enjoy. They love sport and, uh, well, they love sport, not university, obviously, it's generalisation, but young people, there's lots of young people who, who love watching and absorbing their sport. So we want to make sure that they're fully engaged. That does involve then looking about how we um, present and what our, 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 our talent lineup looks like. As in any uh, business, you know, you need to keep refreshing and uh, making sure that you're moving moving on and, uh, and developing fresh talent. So you've got progression and, uh, and, and proper diversity in, in what your lineup looks like and a proper range of voices and tones and styles. So all that's really important. and. Um, uh, it, 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 yes, it, it's certainly a very important part of what we're doing to make sure that we keep on appealing across the piece to audiences, but notably making sure that we're, we're drawing in younger and developing age groups in that too. Does that mean ultimately that well-known faces and voices might sometimes have to move aside? I, I know Sky got into trouble a few weeks ago, didn't they, for asking viewers if they thought their presenters were sexy. I mean, that is something that I could never imagine the BBC doing. No, I think they missed that was a mistake and we wouldn't do that. And um, I mean, obviously, nobody goes on forever. <laughs> so, um, and, and although actually in, in, in broadcasting, there's people who go on and uh, have longer careers than in some other fields. But um, yeah, you know, as I say, it's, it's just a question of keeping the balance of, of your lineups, right? I mean, I don't think there's, there's no um, age restriction either end, either in terms of youth or, or, or older age. And, and there's some terrific broadcasters who are veterans and have been doing it for a long time and, uh, and are still brilliant at it and still offer a huge amount and actually have still great appeal to demographics of all ages, not just their age groups. So it just depends on who we're talking about, what the sport is, how we're trying to vary that lineup. And change happens and, and, and people move on and, and we need to make sure that we've got, uh, you know, fresh, vibrant lineups um, across the piece. But that's not um, purely a matter of what your age is. That's just an overall look and feel of, and tone of, of, of how you approach things because um, there's all kinds of different ways of doing that. So yes, we're, we're eternally looking to do what we do better. And that's, that's you know, I'm really proud of what our teams do. We're always trying to make it better and, uh, and move it on. And that does include looking at, you know, what fresh talent can we introduce and then how can we vary the mix a bit more. But there doesn't need to be at the expense of those who are doing it for a long time if, if they remain. And many of ours do, and they're fantastic. And they've been doing it for a long time and they're brilliant and exceptional. They remain outstanding at it. It's sports broadcasting is not easy. Presenting sports live sport is definitely not easy and um and it does tend to take time to practice it and get really expert at it and comfortable at it and make viewers feel that you're comfortable presenting it so by definition that tends to take a bit of time for people to grow in it and i'm i'm, I'm incredibly uh, proud of the, the the quality of talent that we use of all ages across our broadcasting and uh, and we'll carry on doing our very best to make sure it's the very highest quality on a personal level, could you um, walk us through your career? I mean, you uh, graduated in history from Oxford. How does an how does an Oxford history graduate go on to get the best job in sports broadcasting? <laughs> With a huge amount of luck. I mean, I don't think there's any particular um, correlation between my degree and my career, as there wouldn't be unless I wanted to um, study history or carry on studying history. I was always interested in 
well, I was, I've always loved sport, and uh, increasingly through my teen years, I'd, uh, I, I'd, I'd enjoyed writing and doing some journalism, just bits of freelance in, in the later teen years, and then, and then when I was at Oxford, doing student journalism and a bit of student broadcasting as well, actually. So I was keen on it anyway. I mean, you don't, I'm not sure anybody, well, I didn't anywhere at 19, 20, know exactly what I wanted to do for my life, but I did sort of fancy the idea of being in, in the media, and. Um, and that's kind of therefore what I entered for. And there, there were there was a lot of rather convoluted trainee schemes the BBC had, which you had to apply for. And I think I did remember I applied for uh, three of them, went through endless amounts of interviews, and ended up getting um, actually pushed into, to my great joy, not one of these sort of general schemes, but a sort of traineeship in radio sport, which they just they just started a new scheme there. Now I love sport, but I didn't. I mean, to be honest, I wanted to get into broadcasting, and I love sport. I didn't sort of kind of could be on my dreams to believe I could actually combine the two. So when the opportunity came up, I was thrilled. So I went for that and got it. And uh, so I was in radio sport for um, for a couple of years, and then you know, and that was and BBC training was excellent. It still is. I mean, BBC is just great at bringing people on, developing people. I think it's a really important part of what it does for the broadcasting industry as a whole, beyond even the BBC. And going back a long time because obviously a long time ago um there, it, it, it was great so i worked in different areas uh, beyond sport as well which was a really helpful education of, of, of how different areas worked and then i um uh then i kind of the, the period of traineeship went i went to working to put sort of contracts in tv sport for six months and then breakfast uh, mostly doing sport breakfast new the breakfast thing thank you um for about a year and then applied for and then actually had a job a full-time job in tv sports so i applied for that at the back end of 86 and like that, i think so i flitted around a bit for two or three years across the bbc and then got the chance to work full-time in bbc sport and i joined there as, a, as an assistant producer and you know and i had some terrifically inspirational leaders then in in, in in bbc sport and great colleagues and it was just a it was it was from the outset a place i, I really love working or very hard, I mean, different environment then, and, and uh, obviously BBC Sport, there were less competitors then, this was pre-Sky, um, and less live sport actually, and the BBC had a load of it. So it was, it was, it, it, it was, it was a great time and a great education, and then pretty soon I, I started editing programmes and became assistant editor, and, uh, and, and, and again was lucky enough to work through the subsequent years across everything really i mean you know worked on on grandstand which was then a sort of big beast um and, and edited that and simply with match of the day and other areas like football folk sports personality of the year wimbledon uh, on a kind of regular basis um and then yes again working all those kind of big events because as i got sort of senior in my editing and more experience in my editing things like world cups and olympics uh, and Euros. So um, I consider myself incredibly lucky to have had the career I've had and to work in a, in, a, in a field which, as I say, I would have been interested in if I was doing a completely different job. I would still be scouring websites and papers and watching sport all the time anyway. So actually to be doing it all these years um, is, has just been a wonder and, and uh, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate to have done it. And also to work with just most brilliant collection of people along the way. I mean, from, from start to now, the BBC has been full of absolutely outstanding broadcast talent, both production, technical and on air. And, 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 and to work with them and learn from them and grow with them has just been a, a, a real privilege. What are the best bits about the job and what are the worst bits, if there are any? The best bits are delivering 
and working with others, as I say, working with fantastic people and feeling incredibly energized and, uh, and excited by working with them to deliver the most amazing events in a way that engages and excites the nation, ideally. That's what we're all about. And, um, and when you see that coming together, it's, it's just a joy. I mean, you know, I, I obviously oversee things now. There are, there are huge talents um, that, that work to me that, that are delivering this uh, much more effectively than I could and, um, and, and quite brilliantly. And so my role is, is, is sort of picking them and making sure that there's the right people doing it. And I've got a fantastic array of talent to pick from to, to do that. And seeing them actually uh, deliver sort of beyond expectations. You know, I did work a long time in, in programmes, both producing and editing programmes, and, and that was great. And then seeing people now go to a level, as I say, beyond that and do things increasingly year on year in a better way, in a more exciting way, in a more revelatory way, than certainly in my time as an editor and even more recently as, as time progresses, that's the thing that, that, that I love most. It, it, there's a, when you see things done in a fresh way, in, in a different way, um, that's even better than, than what um, our teams have produced before, and that's happening all the time. That's just incredibly rewarding. Um, and, and my part in that is just to say to, 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 try, and, um, to try and guide the strategy of, of what we're doing, to work with them to um, produce these great goods um, and, and pick the right people to do them, and then just see, you hope, them absolutely delivering it and, and my way they do. Uh, so that, that, that's the, real, the really wonderful bit, the actual stuff that we see on air and all the work that's gone into that and all the thought that's gone into that and the invention and, and creativity that's gone into that shine out. That's just, um, that's the best thing. And just being involved in, frankly, just being involved in sport still at the levels that we are is just, is just a joy. I mean, the worst things, well, um, you know, it's a great job. I'm not going to complain. You know, that, that of course there are things, you know, it, it's the responsibilities. We're a publicly funded body. So there's accountability quite rightly as there needs to be. That can be challenging in, uh, in terms of having to deal with, with what we're responsible for and making sure that uh, we're trying to appeal to as many people all the time. The BBC is obviously under, it comes under pressure. There's big financial pressures for us as you know, for everybody at the moment, but certainly for the BBC. Uh, and those financial pressures are, uh, can make things very difficult and, uh, and very testing sometimes. So that's always, that's always a concern. So, yeah, and, you know, we're working in a big organisation. Uh, you know, you're always trying to work your way through the vicissitudes that can sometimes throw up. But I love the BBC and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a massive, passionate advocate for it. And I, and I would be if I left tomorrow. I just think it's a wonderful institution delivering so much to so many on such a regular basis. And that that's been shown perhaps more than ever, um, or as much as ever in, the, in this current crisis, the value the BBC brings. And I just I do hope people keep recognising that um, beyond the exiting point of this this, this crisis dissipates to a degree. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course, you know, you, there's a job. This is a job with certain sort of you know there's certain pressures and um, issues to deal with, uh, which can certainly be testing, and uh, not least those financial ones I referred to, but in the wider scheme of things, you know, and I, I, I completely appreciate, I've got a wonderful job, I'm very lucky to have it. And as I say, uh, and to work for uh, the BBC all these years, an organisation I really do just, just continue to admire and have deepest affection for is, um, 
has been a wonder. Did you have aspirations to be a footballer yourself back in the day? You aspired to be a footballer for Spurs, did you not? Well, the word aspire is interesting. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, in the sense that, you know, also aspire to be, I don't know, in the clash. But um, that wasn't going to happen either. So, um, you know, the, 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 your passions as a, as a, as a, as a young boy, uh, you know, music was my other thing, which I was really into, and, and I'd love to have been, you know, successed in, 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 in music or sport, particularly sport, and I loved sport, other sports as well as football. I played a lot of other sports as well, football, cricket and tennis, played a load of, um, particularly as much as football, but there was no chance of me um, of being playing sports. I, 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 was, I, I played a lot, and I played for some uh, decent teams at a level, and I was, you know, I, I, and, uh, I had a, a, a lazy left foot, was always described as, <laughs> So, um, and the fact lazy body sort of moving very slowly behind the left foot. But um, yeah, no, I, played, I, I, I was, um, yeah, I, I was okay as a footballer and, and I enjoyed it. I still play five-a-side football, well, obviously not right now. But I still play, in my venerable age, I'm still trying to play five-a-side football because I just love it. It's, it's just a great sport. And, uh, and yeah, no, I was decent enough within my own, the teams that I played, but there was no chance of me, um, of me playing for Spurs, unless, even if it, as an eight-year-old, no doubt, that was my fantasy. I mean, obviously, you're incredibly passionate about sport. Do you ever get a chance to sort of switch off when you're, when you're sort of watching the other sport broadcasts from other, other networks? Do you think, can you just be a viewer and just watch it? Or do you think, well, I wouldn't have done it like that, and I wouldn't have framed it this way, and I would have approached it differently? Or uh, how meta do you get when you're sort of watching other sporting events on other networks. Oh yeah, I mean, I watch sport because I love sport. Even even the stuff that we're doing ourselves, of course, there's more professional interest in watching stuff that we're delivering ourselves. I'm watching sport on the whole because I, I want to watch the sport, and you know, it's wonderful that we're producing, and I want to make sure we're producing it as best as possible. So whether it's us or the other broadcasters, I'm watching the sporting event and, and enjoying the sporting event or trying to. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that has never been difficult for me. I I, I can, I mean, as my wife will, will readily attest, I can watch sport all weekend, or large parts of it anyway. So um, I, I I thoroughly enjoy it, and I can absolutely separate professional from from personal um, interest. I mean, look, of course you're watching with a fresh eye some of the time, but that's not dominating the way you view it, and I. I um, you know, you hope it wouldn't. Otherwise, you'd, your interest would be well severely diminished. Who are the most inspirational sporting figures you've met? Oh, blimey. There's, there's just a huge array. I could go down a long list. which would. Well, it uh, is a seven-hour podcast, so we've got time. <laughs> you don't hear all of them. And again, I've been very, very lucky with those that I've met and certainly seen. You've got to remember, with most, I always say to people, remember sports, you know, you don't expect poets to be brilliant goal scorers, so don't necessarily expect sports people to be to be wonderful literary, literary figures. I mean, you do get a combination sometimes, but essentially... Well, Gary Lineker seems to be good at everything. <laughs> <laughs> to his well, credit. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's, well, he, yeah, he's an exception. And I have to say I'm in awe of people like Gary, Sue Barker's another one, who were absolutely at the top of their tree in, in their sport. And, and there are other cases, there's two, who then gone on to present at the level they've done, because presenting is like sport, as I was saying earlier in this, conversation is, is really hard and, and for professional sports people I mean there's an enormous array we've got a load of them who are fantastic at punditry and analysis but to present it is, is really challenging and, um, uh, and to see people like Gary and Sue uh, lead in that respect of, of, of how they transferred to presenting is extraordinary and I'm, I'm in awe of the way they've constructed that, that second career so brilliantly 
and there are other examples too. But um, yeah, I mean, there are some. There are obviously some some sports people who are who are iconic and 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 have great resonance beyond even what they do on the sporting field. I was very fortunate that I did the first sports personality of the year I did was the 1999 one, which actually changed. I took it over that year to be sports personality of the century. And we had a big vote for who that would be. And unsurprisingly, uh, Muhammad Ali won. And we got him over, which was quite a tale in itself of, um, of making that work. But he was, uh, just to meet him, albeit briefly, obviously he was not in great health then, was, was a, a really high moment. I mean, I, I grew up watching his extraordinary fighting career, but also his extraordinary personality in, in so many guises. And he was, it's very hard to go beyond him as, as, as um, a, a unique inspiration. Although I think there are others of that ilk that do um, fit that main to a degree. Billie Jean King, she, we, we awarded her with um, our Lifetime Achievement a couple of years ago on Sports Personality of the Year. She's, an, again, an unbelievable inspirational figure. And, and still now, I mean, you just hear her speak and she, you want to start cheering as she speaks. She's so, um, she's just, she can just inspire you so easily. And, of course, what she did for women's sport is... Um, has, has never been matched. I mean, she was the absolute forerunner of, of, of getting proper recognition and equality for, for women in, in, in the sports field. And, um, and she, she's just a remarkable, remarkable sports personality too. But there are loads of others. Then there's actually those that um, just by their performances, you just, uh, you, you're just amazed. I mean, again, I was lucky enough to see Maradona in the flesh. Um, and obviously Messi, I've seen a fair amount of in the flesh as well. I think and Ronaldo, um, these are just um, era-defining footballers and, uh, and, and to see their genius on the pitches is, is incredible. Uh, in the football terms, that's pretty spectacular. Yeah, and then there's some um, tennis, another great love of mine and seeing, um, well, McEnroe going back actually. And of course he, he is an amazing person <laughs> beyond the tennis court. Uh, he was. He had a particular style of tennis, which I, which I, which I really loved. And then Roger Federer, I think, would be my sort of current favourite, just because his, his unique style of playing, his unique style of playing too. So, but I could go on and on. I mean, there's just you know, there's, there's cricketers, there's other footballers, obviously a whole litany of Tottenham players that I've loved through the years. Um, and Tottenham remains a, a you know, my, uh, one of my great loves for all the uh, ups and downs that, that team produces. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've just been. Uh, really blessed to have, to have a chance to meet some of these people and to deal with them as well. Actually, Michael Johnson, another one I mentioned as well. He's he's uh, like McEnroe, really. He was, uh, you know, a kind of absolute one-off in his sport, and then to translate that into the sort of force of his punditry in the way that he has is, is pretty is pretty exceptional too. But terrific. A, I could go on for for the list of fifty and not exhausted. Well, Phil, I'm, I must say that's been an incredible conversation, incredibly interesting. You've had an amazing career and your, your passion is, is self-evident. Thank you ever so much for doing the podcast. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, Paul. Really good to talk to you. Really enjoyed it. And, uh, and good luck and keep well. A Right Angles podcast in association with Big Things Media.